Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and it is Wednesday at 5 p.m. Central Time, and that means that we are in week two of our study of Old Testament characters, which will last at least a year. And I'm very excited about this uh, because there's a lot I think we're all going to learn, starting with this particular host. And uh, we had a great time with Dr. David Lamb last week as we talked about Moses. And this week we're going to talk about David. And Peter, I'm excited. I'm very excited for this hour. Yeah, I am too, Bill. I mean, we're, we're kind of bringing out the big hitters early in the Old Testament here with <laughs> Moses and David, right? And not just that, but the guests today. We haven't had a chance to talk with our guests for quite some time, and I'm terribly excited about this today. Yes, Daryl B. Harrison serves as the Dean of Social Media at Grace to You. That's, of course, the Bible teaching ministry of John MacArthur. And he is responsible uh, for developing and implementing the ministry's social media strategy. He's also, along uh, with his friend Virgil, has got a podcast called Just Thinking, and it's got more than 22,000 subscribers, but that probably hasn't been updated in a week, so it's probably 52,000 by now. <laughs> and uh, he's the lead host of Just Thinking, and he's also uh, a graduate of Princeton Theological Seminary. And we're always glad to have uh, Daryl on the show. Such a delight. Daryl, welcome back. Bill, Pete, how are you guys? We're Man, awesome. it's been a while. We're right? awesome. We miss you. We love you, and we miss you. And I'd have you on every week if I could. Listen, Bill. When I heard your intro music, I was like, man, it's been a long time since I heard the Fleetwood Mac <laughs> intro. And that just, that just reminded me, man, how much I miss you guys. It I appreciate been it. months. Yeah. We should ne- listen, we should never let this happen again where I'm months from appearing on your show, bro. we got to fix that. I, I'm with you. I agree. And we've all heard it, and it's been recorded. So let's just go from there. Now, we're going to jump into David today, and we got a lot to learn from the life of David. I mean, he was a man after God's own heart. That's something we all know, but very complicated person, Daryl. Yeah, matter of fact, your last words there, Bill, serve as a great segue into where I want to start with uh, with David, because when you really, when you look closely at David's life, what you'll find is a man who is really a man of extremes. Um, you know, he, he, he's been romanticized to a large degree by the, by both the church and in society. And what I mean by society, you know, there have been, I don't know how many films made uh, on the life of David, uh, but usually they portray him as this uh, Adonis-like figure with this, you know, athletic build, you know, all these perfect physical features and whatnot, but that's not how Scripture describes him. Uh, so I was looking forward uh, to our conversation today in part because what I hope to be able to do is maybe demythologize David a little bit, um, especially from a personal standpoint and why it is that I chose him as the uh, the character to, uh, the biblical character, pet character to discuss with uh, both of you today. Oh, I think that's wonderful, and I can't wait to jump in. And uh, I, I love the demythologizing. I think um, when I was... Uh, Thinking of even the statue of David, I think Michelangelo was the third artist that had a whack at that hunk of marble, and he made something out of it. 
But he yeah. wanted to make that statue showing David's anxiety about the battle against Goliath and his apprehension. And I thought, that doesn't apply to him at all. That just continues to feed the myth. Yeah, it continues to feed the myth. But let's just roll with that myth for a second, because when you look at the statue of David by Michelangelo, you know, it gets, and, and well-deservedly so, it's a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece. It is unarguably one of the great artistic masterpieces uh, ever created uh, by a human being. Uh, but that's where the mythologizing comes in, because when you look at how majestic that statue is on the outside, it totally disguises and hides what kind of person David was on the inside. Totally masked it. Um, you know, David was bold in his obedience to God, right? We all remember David from uh, how he stepped up bravely and courageously to uh, uh, stand in the front of the armies of God. He, he ends up uh, killing Goliath with a slingshot. Uh, but then he was also very egregious in his sins against God, you know, with the murder of Uriah and his adultery with Bathsheba. And this may surprise your listeners uh, to know, Bill, this is primarily the reason that I'm attracted to David um, as, as my favorite biblical character, obviously, outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. But my draw to David is is because of how sinful he was. I, I really couldn't care less about uh, the, the, the myths that surround the man. Uh, but when you study his life, uh, David was a big sinner. And I relate to David because I'm a big sinner. I've committed some big, egregious sins uh, in my life, but we, we tend to see David through the lens of story. Uh, we, meaning, meaning Christians, we tend to see him still, even in our adulthood. We tend to have this visage of David that goes back to when we first heard the first Sunday school story about David. So David still has a sort of Sunday school-esque sort of aura about him. And I would argue that probably outside the birth of Jesus Christ, the story of David is arguably one of the first biblical accounts we ever learned as children uh, growing up in the church. But we need to see David not so much through the lens of storytelling, but we really need to see David through the lens of theology. And and what I mean by that is that we can look at David and learn a lot about who we are, uh, uh, for instance, in terms of the doctrine of original sin. Um, we need to, uh, uh, we can look to David to get lessons about, uh, warnings of, against pride and what that can lead to. Because in my own personal life, again, just like David, usually guys, I find for Daryl that, that my most challenging spiritual moments come after God has given me some sort of spiritual victory in my life. It's usually after yeah, I, a victory. Yeah, and I'm curious about that, Daryl, a little bit more because you just got done saying that um, that David is compelling to you because of just some of the the difficulty and the sin that he wrestled with in his life. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering if you could say more about that theologically a little bit. I was just thinking this last week in my class, I was talking to my students about feeling like a Christian fraud from time to time, where you present a public mm-hmm. oh, for yes. everybody else, and it seems like you oh, know everything's uh, great, but there's all sorts of stuff going on in the inside, and and we see that right in the life of Man, David. But I absolutely. think that ministers to all of us. Yeah. Thank you so, brother, thank you so much for saying that, because that's exactly where I'm tracking you. I'm tracking precisely where you're going with that, because, again, the Lord's been, uh, you know, sort of hammering that home to my own heart over the past 
few weeks, you know, and I'm, I'm going to, what I'm going to say, what I'm about to say, I'm saying it just to establish some context, uh, not to boast or anything like that. But I was thinking the other day, um, you know, about how sinful I am and, and how uh, just uh, the base I know my own heart is. And I was thinking to myself, you know, Daryl, if these 60,000 Twitter followers of yours really knew who you really are, every last one of them would unfollow you. Every last one of them. Hmm. Because, 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 because I, I know, I know who I am on the inside. I know. And I was just tweeting the other day, I sent a tweet that said something like this. I said, there are times, uh, I said facetiously that I'm probably the only one who feels this way, but there are times in my walk with the Lord where my sin, and then parenthetically I said the actual acts of disobedience that I commit, and my sinfulness, parenthetically, the actual acts of disobedience that I know I'm capable of, just kind of hit me in the face. And the Lord's been dealing with, with me in that area over the past few weeks, but it, it goes right with what you just said. And David is a guy who I can look at in Scripture and read Psalm 51 like a mirror. Because the same things he dealt with, the same temptations, the same the same struggles, the same uh, pridefulness, the same arrogance, the same uh, selfishness, are things that I've dealt with and, and still deal with in my in my own Christian walk. So I look to David for uh, as a mirror to show me my own faults, and also, but how God just graciously. Given how egregious his sins were, God's grace was just as egregious in a positive way, right? We we sing to him, uh, my my sins there are many, but his mercy is more. And David is a great example in the Old Testament of how God's grace just came in and just overpowered, overshadowed, just filled the gaps, if you will, where David's character lacked. Uh, so I don't want to pounce on David too hard, but I would uh, like to take advantage of this opportunity to speak with you, brothers, and may, maybe shed some light on this man, this character, David, that perhaps many of us have not thought of previously. Daryl, I have to say, you're catching me a little off guard, and I'm loving this, because I thought we were going to start with some more academic research and study into the life of David, and, and you are sharing from such a deeply vulnerable, personal place that I'm just I'm just riveted. So thank you for being so vulnerable and, and showing us uh, this side of, of you, because that's uh, extremely helpful. Oh, I appreciate you saying that, Bill. And, you know, I'm not going to take credit for that. No, I, it's just, I think that comes from from a heart that, uh, you know, I know uh, my identity in Christ and I know Christ holds me secure in himself. So I just will put it this way. When I, when I speak to a friend like you, I got nothing to lose. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it doesn't, doesn't cost me anything to be transparent. I trust, I trust you. I trust your audience. Uh, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt that most of your audience, um, are professing Christians so I can share and bear my soul with them, um, as well. So I welcome this opportunity, my friend. Yeah, it's awesome. We'll take a little break. Daryl B. Harrison is our guest as we're continuing our study on uh, people from the Old Testament. And Dr. Peter Kapsner and I are so glad to have Daryl back on, our friend, as we talk about the amazing life of David and who he was and what we can learn from his uh, amazing life. We'll be right back. 
We are in our Old Testament study. We're talking about David today with Daryl Harrison. We're awfully glad that he was able to join us. Uh, Peter, I think you've got a, a question that is going to sort of continue talking about David's repentance and God's grace. Yeah, Daryl, you know, that the story when, when it's so compelling to me, when David and Nathan have their interchange, when Nathan the prophet comes and, and sort of tells the story of David, and David is totally outraged at the lack of justice in the story, and then suddenly realizes that it was him that was the, the subject of the story that had committed such an egregious crime uh, upon Uriah and Bathsheba and all of that. Can you just talk a little bit about maybe the conviction that he felt in those moments, and then his reaction, that he didn't try to justify or or um, rage against or anything. He just kind of went immediately to repentance at that point. Yeah, uh, Peter, yeah, let me address that, and I'm going to throw you a curveball, throw you guys a curveball in here in my response to that question, because I'm, I'm inclined to not give David that much credit at that point. And mm-hmm. here's why I say this, because I think prior to his conviction and repentance, I, I see a little bit of hypocrisy in him, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you look at the beginning of the account where Nathan confronts him in Second Samuel 12, and you look at verses one through uh, one through four, Nathan's giving this this uh, hypothetical, and David, I can just see uh, David sitting on his throne as he's listening to Nathan uh, uh, detail this account of this hypothetical. What Nathan's going, yeah, he's kind of nodding in affirmation. He's tracking with David. He's going tracking with Nathan rather. David's right with where Nathan is tracking until verse 5, where it says, Then David's anger burned greatly against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. Now, all right, I don't see it in Scripture, but if you grant me a little bit of license here, I'm going to say here that I'm surprised that Nathan burned with anger based on what was, to that point, just a hypothetical, until later in verse 5. And I think this is something uh, we need to note. In verse 5, where where it says, Then David's anger burned greatly against the man, Nathan in verse 7 uses those same words that we see in verse 5 to confront David in verse 7, where he says to David, You are the man. You are the man. So I think... Uh, David's anger towards Nathan's uh, hypothetical there uh, is a little bit hypocritical. But and, and again, now I say that towards David as I'm preaching to myself. I'm saying that to myself. I can sometimes be the biggest hypocrite that I know. <laughs> that's 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 me. I can be the biggest hypocrite I know. I will confess that in many of my prayers to the Lord. I remember this. I remember this song from back in the '80s by Twyla Parrish. It was a song called Love is uh, Never Ending Love. Beautiful song by Twyla Paris. But uh, the be- very beginning of those lyrics go, I am here to confess the same old thing. How can he still be listening? How many times can he forgive, rescue me from the way I live? That's my prayer to the Lord almost every day. In some way, every day, I'm a hypocrite in some kind of way. So again, when I look at what David, uh, uh, as he's confronted with Nathan, Yes. Granted, I think his conviction, his repentance was legitimate. It was heartfelt. But prior to that, I think as Nathan is sort of setting this up, David's anger was somewhat hypocritical there. Um, uh, But yes, when he was confronted, and let me just say this as well, uh, gentlemen, uh, 
Psalm 51 is probably the most marked up chapter in my Bible. (laughs) It's probably the most marked up chapter in my Bible because that's where we have evidence, uh, Peter, what you're talking about here. David was brought to his face. He was brought to his knees. We see that in Psalm 51. Clearly, it is unarguable that this man was broken down uh, as, as, as a result of this confrontation with uh with Nathan but I will give David credit for this. I love how where he uh uh says to Nathan after Nathan basically shreds him uh based on what he did because we see that in verse 9 of 2 Samuel 12, why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? And then later on, David says, and this this is what I love about David's confession, when he says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And what I love about that is that David's words are what a biblical confession should sound like. Every sin, although my sin may involve and impact other people, ultimately and finally, my sin is ultimately against God, ultimately against God. So David's words were absolutely accurate. I have sinned against the Lord. Ultimately, we all sin against God, regardless of who else may be impacted by our sin. But yes, sir, Psalm 51 is my most marked up chapter in the entire in the entirety of my Bible. You look at the mighty fall of uh... Daryl of David, he's got the big three in there, adultery, lying, and murder. So he did sin against God. He did admit it. And I love Psalm 51. I mean, it's David's prayer of repentance to God. Just have mercy on me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and listen, how be- See, this is, I love, uh, I don't know if you either of you have read this book, but the uh, English theologian of the mid-20th century, A.W. Pink, has a fascinating book simply titled The Life of David. The Life of David, I encourage your listeners to go out and uh, get a copy of that book. And as a matter of fact, I believe the PDF of that book is available for free online. Just do a search on AWP Life of David PDF, and I think you'll find it. But here's the beauty of David's um, sins being recorded in Scripture, because in that book, AWP says this. He says, the sins of God's servants are recorded for our instruction, not for us to shelter behind and use for palliating our own offenses, but for us to lay to heart and seek with all our might to avoid. I love what Pink Mm. said there. These are lessons for us so that we might avoid these pitfalls. Because remember, when you look at David's sins, yes, he was forgiven. What a beautiful lesson that we have about forgiveness in the life of David, that, that being forgiven does not mean you avoid the consequences of your sin. And, he, and, and, and David's life is a clear, unquestionable example of that, that as God forgave him, as God cleansed his heart, as he prayed in Psalm 51, creating me a clean heart, O God, God answered that prayer. But David suffered greatly. He suffered great consequences for his sin. His child died. Uh, David, I don't know if you can get more explicit than Psalm 51 in articulating 
what the weight of his sinfulness did to him physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, psychologically. You've got all of those elements in Psalm 51 there. But again, greater is the grace of God than all of our sin. And yet, though God is a gracious God, though his grace is infinite, it is bottomless, that doesn't mean that when he forgives us, we avoid the consequences of our sinfulness. And I think that's one lesson we can take away from the life of David. I think that's so important too, Daryl. It's not that God is holding a grudge when we continue to experience these consequences, right? It just is, it's just simply going to be part of our journey moving forward. And God does clean our heart and cleanse us and, and doesn't hold that against us. But that doesn't mean that we're not going to deal with the rippling impact of it for, for quite some time, maybe even a lifetime. Absolutely right. That's a great point. And I think, again, that's one of the matter of fact, what you just said there, Peter, that's one of the that's one of the things that I mean when I say I'd like to try to take this opportunity to demythologize David a little bit, because it's not that we tend to believe because Scripture is clear that David didn't, quote unquote, get away with anything. But I think we tend to, especially in today's contemporary um, evangelical church, and particularly here in America, where our Christianity is so easy. Our Christianity is so unchallenging. Our Christianity is just is, is what I call a lawn chair Christianity. Mm. Most, most of our lives is, is, as Christians is a walk where we, we just, we're, just, we're just passing the time as if sitting in a lawn chair sipping a lemonade. Uh, we, we don't really live a Christian life that's confrontational, that's antagonistic, that challenges us to really stand up for God as David was challenged uh, to do. And uh, again, that, that brings me to another point of why I relate to him so well, because there are times in my own life where I'm as bold as a lion for the Lord. But then after that event is over, when I'm alone, okay, when I'm by myself and it's just me and my own heart, oh my gosh, I wouldn't want anyone to see what's going on inside. Mm-hmm. I just won't. I just don't. And you look at the the, the premeditation that uh, that David had to, the, 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 the sinful premeditative hoops that he had to jump through to try and hide his adultery with Bathsheba. Lie after lie after lie after lie that led up to murder. Mm. Let's uh, continue this after the break. We're talking to Daryl Harrison. You can go to justthinking.me to learn more about his blog. We'll take a break and be right back as we continue to talk about David as we demythologize him. We'll be right back. back with Daryl B. Harrison. Dr. Peter Kapsner and I are so happy to have him uh, talking about David today. And uh, during the break, um, I was thinking about some of David's truly wonderful, great characteristics. Uh, Daryl, what would you think would be his best characteristic? It would have to be his boldness. His okay. boldness for the Lord. Yeah, yeah, I would say his boldness for the Lord, absolutely. I yeah. was thinking about his seasons of life. He had times when he had peace and prosperity, and there were also times when he was a mess. 
and full of anxiety. Yeah. And yet he always kind of remained to have a thankful heart, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He always knew. I think David knew how to keep the main thing the main thing. Uh, and when you look at you look at David, you look at how egregious uh, uh, were the sins that he committed. He knew that he could still go back to the Lord. He knew the Lord would not see. See, David. David is where I want to be at one point in my own sanctification where I can trust the Lord so deeply. See, too too often, Bill, I'm that guy in Mark 9, 24, who says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. But I think David is a guy who had such a depth of trust. He knew the Lord so intimately. I mean, you could arguably say that there probably aren't two worse sins that a person could commit outside of adultery and murder. And there he was. He checked both those boxes. Mm-hmm. And yet he knew, he knew that his God was unchanging, his God was unwavering, that, that the God he served was a God, as Scripture says, is not, has no shifting of shadows. God does not change. He knew that God's nature and care, he knew it. So he knew that even in the sins that he committed, which were some of the worst, that God would hear him. That if he went to God with a genuinely penitent heart, that God would hear him and God would not turn away, as we see in Psalm 51, verse 11, where David prays, do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. David would not pray those words unless he knew God's character. And, and this is I want to say this as an encouragement to, to all your listeners. Um few months ago on the Just Thinking Podcast, my co-host, Virgil Walker, and I, we did an episode on assurance of salvation. Uh, that episode is probably the second most listened to episode that we've done, and we've, we've done 113 episodes to date. But I mention that because most uh, Christians who I encounter who have issue with this assurance of salvation, um, those doubts and fears and, and moments of unbelief belief arise from their own emotions, their own feelings, what their own mind tells them. Uh, and we, re- we, in that episode, reiterated repeatedly that you must orient your mind and heart to be fixated on who God is and his character and his nature. That's why you're securing your salvation. It's not based on anything you do, feel, don't do, or don't feel. And I think David here, especially in Psalm 51, is a great uh, example of how David rested on who God is. He knew that his focus had to be on God. It's Colossians 3, 1, set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. David knew his Lord. He, 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 he knew the character and the attributes of the God that he served, and we see evidence of that in Psalm 51. And we can take this as an example, to, as, as application in our own lives, to rest in who God is. Uh, and not let Satan uh, twist uh, our minds into thinking that it, 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 not that it doesn't matter. We want to be obedient to our Lord, yes. But when it comes to who holds us steady, our steadiness is based on who God is, not in who we are. 
Daryl, if we shift gear, uh, gears just a little bit and go back into maybe some of the origin story of David, uh, I'd be curious your take on his early life and, and was there meaning and character that was developed in him when he was sort of the forgotten little brother, as it were, left behind to, to shepherd in the fields and, and what his interactions with God were like then? I mean, what do we see in the story of him and his brothers and again, him being sort of left behind by the family, as it were? Yeah, I think there is something to that, uh, David, and uh, I, you know, I can... This may sound funny to you guys, but I can kind of relate that being being a middle child. Um, mm-hmm. Now, David was the youngest of seven. Um, he was a uh, he was a shepherd boy. Um, he probably, um, from the time he could walk, almost was 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 used to being given the most menial tasks around the house. Um, you go down the staircase of his uh, older brothers, and I'm sure uh, over the course of his upbringing. Uh, they would hand off the tasks and chores that they didn't want to do uh, off to him. Um, you know, uh, my own uh, upbringing as a middle child, uh, uh, you know, you don't get the uh, attention of the youngest and you don't get the benefit of the doubt of the oldest. So I found myself oftentimes growing up working uh, extremely hard to, uh, you know, please uh, uh, my parents, uh, uh, please my older brother. Uh, please my younger sister, but I think there is character that was developed uh, in David's uh, childhood, um, whereby when he was anointed, when Nathan came by to anoint him, uh, obviously that that happened in God's sovereign providence. Uh, but uh, 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 when when Nathan says, you know, God does not see as man sees, because man looks at the outer appearance, but God looks at the heart. I think there was a. Uh, 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 a maturity that over time was developed within David uh, uh, that that was distinct and unique uh, from his uh, his siblings, whereby even though he was the youngest um, and on the, on the outward appearances he was the least qualified, he didn't have the physical attributes of his brothers. So by every uh, external benchmark. Um, you know why would he be? Uh, why would God choose him to be anointed as a future king? But I think there is something to be said of how he was raised and how he endured, how he persevered. Um, uh, you know, being a shepherd—I've I've never been a shepherd—but from what I understand about that occupation, um, it is not a pretty one. It is a thankless one. Uh, it's one where you get your hands dirty. You get you 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 probably get uh, cut up and dusted up and even beaten up at times. Um, but I think that helped to shape him in, uh, in, in, in his character to where he was able to uh, stand up boldly for God in, in, in many ways and in many occasions over the course of, of his life. Daryl, if we could also talk a little bit about one of the most dramatic accounts in the Old Testament which would be the story of David and Bathsheba. Of course, he being the king, he had uh, this advantage of probably a higher rooftop view of what was going on in the in the city, and he spots Bathsheba, and despite her marital status, he summoned Bathsheba to the palace, and they slept together. Did she have a choice in the matter? I think she did. Okay. We all have, we have, we all have a choice. We all have a choice. Um, I think she, as I understand the text, as I as I understand the account in Second Samuel uh, eleven, um, yes, she did have a choice. Okay, she did have a choice. 
Um, that's, you know, others may disagree with that, but I think if she didn't have a choice, then what you're doing, you're really setting the stage. And I don't see that in the text. You're setting the stage, however, uh, to put an onus on David uh, in terms of forcing her to do something against her will. Now, we don't, I don't see that in the text. Um, so I, I do not want to impart uh, onto David something that I don't see clearly in the text. So based on what is in the text, Bill, my response is that, yes, she did have a choice. I appreciate that. When we think about the account of David and Bathsheba, I know there's a bunch of lessons there. One that pops into my mind is that secret sin is always going to be found out, isn't it? Sure. Absolutely. And see, the thing about that is that, you know, when you really look at that, Bill, and think about it, there is no secret sin. <laughs> so true. No such thing as a secret sin. <laughs> yeah. God not only Right. What a lie. What a myth. Talk about demythologizing. Let's demythologize that. There's no such thing as as secret sin. Not only does God know in his omniscience when you sin, Scripture also says that God knows the motives and the intents of our hearts. So God even knows that sin that you're scheming to do, that you're planning to do. He even knows that. So God knows preemptorily before you sin what sin you're going to commit. And I think it's interesting here, uh, Bill, in 2 Samuel 11, there's one little word that I think we really need to pay attention to because we see it elsewhere in Scripture. I'm looking at 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 2. And it says, When evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing. Now, that is the same, that word saw is the same word that we see used in Genesis 3, where Eve saw that the, that the fruit was good to make one wise. And it's also the same word that we see in Judges 14, where, where Samson saw a woman. That mm. word saw in Scripture doesn't mean that he visually observed something with his physical eyes. What that word means is that what he visually saw with his eyes, he derived an idea. He derived a thought in his heart, an idea, a concept. And he had, at that moment, he, 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 he took what he saw, translated that in his brain, in his mind, and then that became a desire in his heart. That's the same word that we see in Genesis 3 and then Judges 14. So that little word, saw, is a dangerous word in Scripture, a dangerous word. So, yes, uh, uh, I would say Bathsheba had a choice. There probably would have been consequences for her denying uh, David, just like there were consequences for Joseph denying Potiphar's wife. Mm-hmm. There would have been cons- consequences for Bathsheba, yes. So I say, yes, she had a choice. Perhaps, and again, I'm just imparting motive here and thought uh, where it's not in the text, but perhaps Bathsheba thought about that. Perhaps she weighed the pros and cons. Well, if I don't consent, you know, what, do, what's the risk-reward if I don't consent versus if I do consent, maybe that's the position she was in. I don't know. Yeah. And the other lesson, of course, is that God will forgive anyone who repents. God will forgive anyone who genuinely repents, mm-hmm. who genuinely repents. Now, Bill, I think your question, your statement brings up another point. What we need to understand is when it comes to repentance, and I want to re- recommend uh, to your listeners um, um, the book, the, Doc- the, the Doctrine of Repentance by Thomas Watson. The Doctrine of Repentance by Thomas Watson. That book helped open my eyes to the understanding that repenting is not just an acknowledgement that you did something. 
confession should proceed uh, should, should coincide with repenting. It has it has to be from the heart. And Scripture teaches us that God grants repentance. So as David prayed in Psalm 51, he didn't just confess; he pleaded with God to give him a a a heart of genuine repentance, so that he turns. That's what that word means. It means you do a 180. You turn away and you uh, create in your mind the image of you walking away from something. You're forsaking it forever. That's what repentance means. You're forsaking that forever. Lord, give me a heart to forsake that sin forever. Let me not be drawn back into it. But it has to be it has to come from the heart. And that is something that only God can grant you. We cannot muster up repentance in and of ourselves. Oh, Daryl, that's so good. I just really loved that last three minutes in particular. Let me take a little break. Daryl B. Harrison is our guest as we continue our study of people from the Old Testament. We're talking about David. And if you want to learn more about Daryl, you can go to justthinking.me. He's got an amazing uh, blog there and a podcast. You can go sign up and subscribe or listen to any one of his uh, many podcasts that he does uh, with Virgil Walker. We'll take a short break and be right back. Daryl Harrison, Peter Kapster and I are so delighted to have our friend Daryl with us talking about David. Got some nice feedback coming in on the text line. To God be the glory, Daryl, because we are touching, uh, reaching people with your powerful message today. So thank you for being with us. Wow. Thank you so much. It's very humbling. It's yeah. very humbling. Thank yeah. you. Um, Barbara said, uh, this man, Daryl is speaking about one of my very favorite passages in the Bible, Psalm 51 verses 10 through 13, it was so encouraging to me that even though I couldn't figure out my repeatedly being distracted by news, God would forgive me. The best part for me is that he doesn't discount my ability to teach sinners, the rebellious, his ways. How rewarding. It continually gives me hope that he forgives as I turn from my wayward thoughts. Yeah, can I say something on that, Bill, just for a second? Yeah. Because what what your listener there said is something that resonates with me almost every day. It's just the it's how unfathomable it is that God has chosen to use sinners to teach other sinners <laughs> his word. And, uh, you know, again, that that's something that just boggles my mind, that God, that that is the a method that God has chosen to use in this world, is to use sinners to teach other sinners. And uh, so I think that's so astute that your listener uh, worded it that way. She's absolutely right. I love that. Uh, Daryl, I was thinking, too, when you are talking about patterns in Scripture a little bit ago with Bathsheba seeing something, and, and or David seeing something, and Eve seeing something, and, and just what's there. I was, th- I was thinking about Nebuchadnezzar on the rooftop of his palace. Like, he was at the height of his power at that moment, and it was right at the height of his power that he fell. And, of course, David is now on the rooftop of his palace again, and, and he's really experiencing the height of his power. Maybe you could speak 
a bit to the vulnerability that we have when we're experiencing just great things in life and, and maybe we're not aware of yeah. how vulnerable we are in those moments? Yeah, it's, it's like I confessed uh, several minutes ago uh, before before that last break. You know, even in my own life, I find that I'm most vulnerable to temptation when I'm on a mountaintop, right after I've been on a mountaintop, right after uh, I've, uh, quote unquote, performed some spiritual duty or something. Mm. Let's say, for instance, you know, I finished a, a spiritual goal in my Bible study. I finished a, a reading a whole book of the Bible or when I said I'd pray for someone, I actually did that. Or uh, I made it to church and I, I prepared a good Bible study lesson for Sunday school, and I thought I did really, really well. See, it's moments like that. When, I, when, when I'm on a spiritual mountaintop, when I'm feeling spiritually uh, on top of my game, if you will, boom, there, there comes that temptation right around the corner. It's usually immediately following that, uh, that I'm most vulnerable, and I, and I end up falling. Um, and that brings to mind, if I want to shift to the New Testament real quick, is a, a ver- there's a verse in Luke 4.13. That's one of my favorite verses in Scripture as it relates to carrying through with the exhortation that Jesus gave us to always watch and pray. Well, Luke 14 is right after Jesus has successfully withstood the temptations of Satan in the wilderness. Jesus withstood all three of those temptations by responding with what the Word of God says. But in Luke 4.13, it says that when Satan had finished all his temptations, he left Jesus until an opportune time. Until an opportune time. I would strongly encourage your listeners, Bill, if they're inclined to highlight, like in their Bibles like I am, to highlight Luke 4.13 and underline the words, until an opportune time. Know this, my friends, that Satan is always looking for an opportune time. He's always looking for an opportune time. And as you said, Peter, more times than not in my life anyway, I can't speak from anyone else, more times than not, those opportune times are times that I are opportunities that I give him, that I give Satan right after the Lord has allowed me to experience some sort of spiritual victory in my life. That's beautiful, Daryl. Thank you so much uh, for that. In, I want to go back to Psalm 51, because you got me all excited to go back to Psalm 51. So why, why did David ask God to create in me a clean heart? And, and how does God create a clean heart? Well, I, I, I like to say, and you guys may disagree, and feel free to do it. It's, it's your show, so you can, you can disagree with me <laughs> all you want. But I think, I think that one verse, in verse 11 there is Old Testament vernacular for being born again. Hmm. I, think they, I think that's Old Testament vernacular in that prayer for what it looks like to be born again. David knew. See, David understood what Jesus says in Mark chapter 7. In Mark chapter 7, verse 17 through 23, Jesus delineates. He, he makes it unambiguous that the evil that, uh, that, that we commit even that we think about, flows from the heart, flows from within us. Jesus made that clear, and David understood that. He understood that it is from that his heart was corrupt, that his heart was dark, that his heart was as black as soot. David knew this. He knew that he wasn't capable of creating within himself, by his own power and effort, the clean heart that he desired. Now, notice, 
David prayed for a clean heart. He didn't pray for a perfect heart. And I say that as encouragement to your listeners who, because Satan will use our failures. He will turn our failures right on us. And next thing you know, he's got us walking around in defeat, walking us, walking around down in the dumps, thinking, oh, my goodness, God doesn't love me anymore. He doesn't care because I've sinned in this area. I've dropped the ball. No, no, don't, don't, don't let Satan carry you off in that sort of way of thinking. So understand, David prayed for a clean heart, not a perfect heart. Renew a steadfast spirit with me, and that's where we all want to be. We all want to be consistently obedient. We're not going to be perfectly obedient. We're not going to be perfectly obedient, but we want to be consistently obedient. We want to be steadfast in our obedience. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 6, 6, putting on the full armor of God. That's what we want to do. And I love how David prayed this again. David knew where to go for a clean heart because he knew it wasn't in himself to do it. And Daryl, is that a prayer that we only pray when we are aware of some some pretty big sin in our life? Is that a prayer we can just wake up with in the morning where we're involved maybe in sin we're not even necessarily aware of something that it can almost be the way we start our day? Absolutely it can. Absolutely it can. Matter of fact, I would recommend um, that, that, that as the Lord wakes you up in the morning, you have your first conscious thought. Just your first conscious thought should be an awareness that you have an enemy. You have a spiritual enemy who has been metaphorically waiting for you to open your eyes. Mm. And he's waiting for you to open your eyes so he can start throwing his fiery arrows at you from your very first conscious thought. Mm. That's, that's how much Satan wants to destroy you. Um, I've often said that the battlefield of Satan is the mind. And that, that is, that's been so true in my own life. So yes, Peter, absolutely. As you can make a habit of being mindful of just this one verse, not just this one verse, just these first six words. Just go ahead and pray these first six words. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Those first eight words. Pray those first eight words from the moment you open your eyes and mean it when you say it. Mean it when you say it. Because, I dare say, there are those of us who just mouth our prayers. We just mouth them. We don't really mean them. It's like Augustine said, Lord, make me pure, but not yet. You see, sometimes we're like that. Sometimes we just mouth the prayers. So, But if you're not going to mean it, then don't mouth it. But I'm encouraging you to, if even if you don't mean it, ask the Lord to give you a heart to mean it. Tell him, confess him. So, Lord, listen, I'm not where I want to be in my belief, in my trust. Help me. Be like the man in Mark 9, 24, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. But you want to get to a point where you can just say those eight words from the moment you open your eyes in the morning, creating me a clean heart, oh God. Daryl, it's been so wonderful having you on the show, and I've loved this discussion. And uh, the text line is lighting up with people saying the very same thing. So we're... um, we're talking their language, people's language today. They want to hear about uh, everything you've said, and, and it's been very um, very inspirational, for sure. Well, thank you much, yeah. Bill, Peter, for having me on. This yeah. is the fastest hour in show business. I friend. couldn't agree more. Thank <laughs> you so much. And, Daryl, let me just send people to your uh, website one more time, justthinking.me. You can go learn more about Daryl and Virgil and their uh, great podcast. So, um, uh Thank you again, Daryl, for being on the show. It's really a delight to hear your voice. 
Thank you, Bill. Look forward to the next time. You bet. You Thank guys you. Take care. Thank you so Bye-bye. much. All right, Peter. I think uh, we're starting to scratch the surface on David. I know that we can talk about David more than once in our 12 months that we're going to be studying people from the Old Testament, but that was a brilliant start. This whole idea of um, demystifying David. It's been great. Yeah, it really, I, I can't imagine a better person to start. He he clearly had his homework done too. There was nothing we could throw at him that he wasn't going to be able to to talk intelligently about. But like you just said, I think the text line is lighting up because he has a way of getting into scripture, but also in a way that's super accessible for all of us. I, tomorrow morning, I'm going to re- wake up with that prayer and, yeah. and, and sort of start my day for the first time that way. I am too. I can't wait. Thanks again, Peter. This is great. I look Love forward it. to next week. Yeah, thanks. All right, that wraps up our show for the day. I want to say a big thanks to Jay Warner Wallace for the amazing hour, and then Daryl Harrison, who was amazing as well. And you are amazing. Thank you for uh, supporting us, uh, listening. I appreciate you very much. Have a great night. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.